That's new. That's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Good job, Sarah. Oh my God, what a race. Thank you. <laughs> Sarah was so fun following along. I was like screaming when I found out, <laughs> like when I saw your post, I was just like, yes, <laughs> most deserving human on the planet. This is amazing. It was an awesome day. It was just like smooth, like just a just an eat like not easy but like not a whole lot of challenges uh to overcome so nice wow yeah. that's how you know you train well yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like i usually get really sick during races like um my like i throw up for hours um, and so I was very prepared for that and like had gone through my, with my crew on like how to manage me when I'm really sick and how to get calories in me and all that. And then I ended up just like being able to eat the whole time and like really <clears throat> never getting sick at all. So that was great. Yeah, that's so cool. Hey, how far into your race did you realize that everything was going perfect? Like, like when, when did you, when did that pop into your mind? Um, well, so like eight hours is the mark where I usually get really sick. And so like when I looked down at nine and a half hours and I hadn't even like felt any not like nausea yet, I was like, okay, this is feeling really good. Um, and then passing people at night, um, there was like an out and back section and I was headed back and people were coming to the aid station I had left and they were looking like they were in really rough shape and like it was going to be a long night. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like that like I feel good and so sort of around there wow wow that's unbelievable what did you do differently with your training to help you overcome the stomach issues other than training so I took um I took all calories out of my bottle so no tailwind anymore um, or scratch or anything like that so just noon and water, pretty much just kept water on me and then noon at the aid stations. So I was getting electrolytes, but like not too many electrolytes. Um, and then I ate one Huma gel, I don't know how you say that, Huma, Huma gel. Um, like every, like I ate one of those and then just tried to eat something solid every hour. Like as long as I was eating a gel and eating something solid every hour, that was sort of my goal. And so, yeah, that was my plan. And I was pretty well able to do that. And then sort of as the night went on, I couldn't really eat solid things, but I was eating like broth and still able to get things down. But I think taking tailwind out and then adding like, uh, and adding protein, like I ate like trail mix, so like almonds and nuts and things like that. Um, I think that really helped. Wow, that's so cool. So cool. Yeah, that's amazing. I've had a lot of athletes have bad luck with tailwind. I don't really endorse yeah. it. People tend to over, uh, overdo it on the fluids in order to get the calories in. I think that can be problematic a little bit. Um, interesting to see that it worked for you to get away from the tailwind. Um, yeah, nice. That's, that's so cool how it all kind of worked out. And no, yeah. there's no big challenges out there. Oh my wow. God, you got to go do another one. Yeah. I know. Uh, I'm really time. like, I can't wait. Recover. <laughs> I know. Isn't that like yeah. the first thing you want to hear, Sarah, when you finish? Like, all right, let's do another one. Time to go. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I, yeah, it's about like not rushing and signing up for the next thing right away. I know that that's not like the healthy way to do things and jump from race to race. And it's just, it's hard because it was a great day and it did feel so good. And it's like the high is so such a high. You're like, oh, more of that. Give me more of that, you know, which is obviously Our not graph, how it works. <laughs> but. Oh, uh, was that for hard rock points? Is that, uh, is that your goal? <laughs> is anyone here going to be at hard rock? Because I will be there. I oh, so you're going. Cool. Um, Stoked. you're going to that? Yes. I'm not running in it. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're racing hard rock. I have zero <laughs> points so far. Right. I have a friend from Oregon who's planning a soft rock. So Zoe, oh, nice. if you're interested, you're more than welcome to come, but we should oh, chat dude. beforehand. Yeah, I really want to. I'm writing about it for Trail Runner, but I'm always trying to parlay. I'm like, can I really even honestly write about it if I haven't done it? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so much better if I did soft rock and you paid for it. That's I got time off work. Soft rock is a big deal. Yeah. Doing yeah. four back-to-back, like, really long runs. I mean, you can make it as many as you want, theoretically. As many back-to-backs. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there's only so many. Put-ins. Le- yeah, like, logistically, <laughs> yeah, it's hard because it's super mountainous. Yeah, if you guys don't know that race, that's probably, like, our only – it's probably, like, our closest to a European-style race around the U.S. It's really well, steep. I mean, it's, it's like, over 30, it's like a true mountain hundo right it's like the which is like what euros get to do every all the weekend time. yeah all the time every day every but afternoon. ours is at elevation you know like you don't you don't get the same amount of technicality at like twelve thousand feet in europe you know not not everywhere depends because in a lot of places that's still glaciated so yeah yeah that's cool yeah that hard rock is uh it's a special event a special event i got to, to spectate that a couple years ago and it was really cool yeah so there's this aid station that i'm doing a story about and uh this year joe gray or joe grant is going to be no yeah joe grant men all have the same name um the aid station captain and rob Crar and walmsley are crewing her at the aid station and i thought it'd be really cool to do a story about like having these ultra running legends run an aid station well that's interesting. That's cool. I know like uh, Max King does a lot of aid stations out in Bend um, and like works really closely with the the Bend trail community, which is really neat. So it's always fun when you get these like rock star trail, like like the OG heroes, you know, who still come out to support the community. Yeah. Once I had Carl um, Meltzer. Meltzer? Yeah. Carl, the speed goat, make me a quesadilla. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we've got our own trail hero, Sarah Strong, with the big 100-mile podium. Woo! Nice job. Yeah, that's so debut cool. 100, no big deal. That's epic. No, it's her second 100. Well, first race. technically, this is the first 100-mile race. She just happened to have run 100 miles in her other race. <laughs> We're going to give it to her. Take it. You deserve it. She's just to happen to have like more or less run a hundred miles in a different on a different occasion. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I realized that Sarah, that you podiumed with being a fairly like and and take how you like a fairly inexperienced hundred mile like runner like that is incredible. Seriously, like every time we talk about it, it gives me goosebumps. Amazing. Okay, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Five hundred days in the log. I've seen it. We were talking. Many, that's the magic times. number. Get allow yourself to get 500 days in the training log, and you will start to notice big things happening. After 500 days, you will see instant results. <laughs> no promises there, but a lot of good perspective shifts, a lot of experience built up, and a lot of adaptations. Yeah, made. You know, that's just so many accumulated um, training days. And in that time, you know, Sarah ran an additional 100, a couple of 50 Ks or something out. We've been following, I've been following yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, a couple of 50 um, Ks. Maybe a 50 miler or something like that. I don't that. think she's done a 50 miler. I remember a few races. Have you done a 50 miler? It was like, what? it started like the 100. It was like a self-supported thing from home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not oh my God, that's right. You came in hot with like a self-supported 50 miler. Pandemic, pandemic 50 miler. 50. And the pandemic 100. Wow. Yeah. What Pretty a year. It's so I've cool. been really, really ready for this race. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm saying it. 500 days. It's a good thousand stuff. days. Yeah. Every 500 days. Boom. <laughs> Instant results. <laughs> overnight success. I love it. That's after o- 500. Days. I would consider 500 days to be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. Over 500 nights success. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll get into some questions. Um, 
because we've got a few here, but we've always got next Friday too. So, and then we've got 500 um, Fridays. We could not consecutive though. Not consecutive. We'll take a vacation somewhere in there in the next 500 days. Maybe it depends. Depends. Depends on how fired up I am on these questions. I don't know. Let's start with something a little not so heavy. We've got a few heavy questions in here. I just started drinking my coffee, mm. so I'm, I need a warm up warm-up question um okay this is a great question how does heat uh acclimation work how do i get used to the heat we've talked about this on the last few calls so i think maybe more specifically we'll just throw this in there um this was in the list of rapid fire friday questions um so somebody sent this to us recently who hasn't maybe listened to our previous calls but how do we acclimate to the heat I can start us off. That'd be great. Yeah. All right. Uh, generally, it takes two to three weeks. Um, what's happening kind of on a biological level is your body is building additional blood volume. So when you're hot, you can sweat more, you can cool your body down, you can retain a little bit more sodium. Um, and also you can more easily move vital nutrients across the body uh, from your muscles to your heart, from your heart to your muscles, from your, you know, your metabolism, your metabolic system, um, and so forth. Um, so when it's hot, all of those processes are, are tougher, right? We feel, we feel it, like our perceived effort goes up. Um, so it takes a few weeks for those adaptations to happen. Um, how can we facilitate? You gave her the speaking one. She was eating barrette. She eats like hair clips and I'm concerned that she'll die. Okay, all right. Um, how do we facilitate acclimating to the heat? Embracing the heat. That's the only way. There's no like shortcut other right. than just like It's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a two-step process. One, it's, I can't do it, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was a silent toy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, this is a two-step process. One, it's doing easy runs when it's hot out. Um, and so that's 80 degrees or more. Um, and Actually, it's hot is however, whatever feels hot to you. Hot according to exercise science okay. in the lab is 80 degrees or more the definition of hot i think that it really depends upon kind of that temperature variance if we really want to get into it you know if you're dealing with like probably like a 30 degree or more temperature swing i would say the up, upper side of that temperature swing could be considered really hot um also you know if you're in direct sun exposure or not mm -hmm. but let's try not to overthink it and just kind of do your easy runs when it's at the hottest point of the day, it will help. Um, generally for a lot of us, that's gonna be 80 degrees or warmer. Um, and then really back off the effort. Um, so you wanna run super, super easy. Um, give yourself a little bit more time out there. Um, and when you're finished with that run, don't go directly home and jump in a cold shower. Don't go directly home and jump in a cold river. Like allow your body to cool down naturally. Um, that's much better for the adaptation process. We don't really wanna deal with like those wild temperature swings where it's like, I'm hot and dehydrated, then I jump right into a freezing cold shower. Um, that actually will make the process of adaptation slower. Um, and then, when you're doing these easy runs super super easy and it's really hot out um i would also make sure that you're hydrating uh really well and when it comes to your workouts do your workouts in the coolest temperatures possible right like workouts are already really tough we don't need to make them tougher um you're getting the adaptation you need on the easy runs on your you know on the workout days go out early in the morning when it's the coolest temps or later in the evening, if that works for your schedule. And so give yourself a break on those days. And I think, um, you know, long runs generally this time of year, if you go out early, you're gonna deal with that temperature swing. 
Um, so towards the end of your run, you're definitely going to be getting in a lot of that kind of uh, time on feet under a hot sun and things like that. Um, so don't overthink the long run. You know, you could start cooler, make sure you bring plenty, plenty of hydration. Uh, you're watching your sodium levels. And then again, don't go directly to a cold shower afterwards or go directly to a cold river. Give yourself some time to your body to cool off naturally. The adaptation process, you know, generally is going to take two or three weeks, depending on kind of your individual needs or tolerances. Um, you know, I've heard from athletes who have grown up like in the South in Florida, in really hot parts of the country, um, you know, parts of California where they're regularly running 80, 90 degree temps. Um, and it's no big deal. A lot of those athletes, you know, they tend to adapt a little bit quicker, but maybe it's more of also like the mental side of that adaptation. Like they're just used to being a little bit more uncomfortable in those conditions. Um, so if you're like me, who really, really struggles in the heat to get comfortable, um, just know that like three weeks, maybe four weeks, um, that's totally fine. Just set yourself up for success. Dial your easy runs back. Be uh, strategic about when you do your easy runs. If you want to adapt quicker, do those easy runs when it's hotter. Um, don't be tough on yourself. Do your workouts when it's cooler out. Um, and make sure you've got your hydration stuff covered. Uh, we talked about, and I don't want to waste too much time on it, um, other ways to continue to build your blood volume. Um, you can follow up some of those easy runs with a hot bath, sauna, hot tub session. Um, 30 minutes is usually good, 30 or 40 minutes in the additional heat exposure. And then again, you want to just gradually cool down your system after being exposed to that heat. Don't go right to the cold shower. Um, and also, if you are really taking this to another level, you're building in the sauna, you're jumping in the hot tub afterwards, make sure you do that dehydrated, hydrate afterwards. Um, that's kind of the key to that as well. Do we care that she's, you know? <laughs> she has a... Bowie is a huge fan of eating our planter socks. It's just got that excellent foot taste she loves. Mm, so tasty. Yeah. Okay, I hope that made sense to you guys. Uh, if it didn't, um, hit up the chat box and I can try to explain better. Um, there are a few really good articles on this um, on the Trail Runner website. So I would also recommend that you guys, um, yeah, check that out. Maybe, uh, did, is Coach Kylie here? Kylie, is there a nutritional component to getting used to the heat in summer um, that you specifically recommend to your, to your clients, whether it's paying attention to sodium levels or sweat rate, anything like that? Um, yeah, so if you aren't heat adapted, typically you're going to lose more overall electrolytes um, when you're when you're out there so being mindful of that and and it might be a matter of um you know this isn't super scientific but might be a matter of a, just including like a noon tablet or one like serving of electrolytes per day especially as you're acclimatizing over that two to three week period of time um and then you're typically your fluid requirements are higher at first as well so being aware that like your thirst mechanism isn't always the best um way to kind of get ahead of hydration and everything um especially in the heat um it can be blunted a little bit in the heat um so so actually like being on top of that i would say i wouldn't say there's anything food wise that you can specifically include that will help um but hydration wise, electrolyte wise, I would say like daily um, having a serving of electrolytes and then actually maybe trying to slightly increase your hydration by, I don't know, 16 to 20 ounces um, throughout the day. And then if you're not used to bringing some hydration with you, even on like shorter runs, it might be a good idea to bring some like hydration with a little bit of plain electrolyte in it. Um, during that time. Yeah, thanks, Kylie. I think those are really, really good tips. 
Um, and another thing that I think is worth adding, if you are gonna be going from low elevation to higher elevation, um, if kind of the uh, amount of like water content in the air, like humidity is changing, your, your needs for fluids, for electrolytes are gonna change too. Um, you know, if you're going up in elevation, you're gonna need some more electrolytes to respond to those different environmental factors. Um, Drew, I see your hand is up. Yeah, so I just wanted to make mention real quick, I've got several of my athletes that are all experiencing an increase in temperatures regardless of where they live. And so it's important to understand that um, not, I mean, yeah, it takes, you know, three, sometimes four weeks to start that acclimation process, but you need to really be patient with the process. Um, you're going to go through and one day say it's like 10, 15 degrees warmer than the day before. Um, you're not going to be as fast, you know, your, your pace is going to go down, your effort's going to go up and it's just not going to feel fun sometimes. So to just be patient, trust the process, know that like, like we talk about, uh, it doesn't all happen overnight and just, you know, take it easy on yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. I think that's always worth saying, you know, be patient, go easy on yourself. Again, like doing those easy runs, you can almost never do your easy run too easy. Yeah. You know, I, I think for most athletes, 99% of the athletes on this team, you could, pro you could probably do your easy runs easier. Um, and especially when it gets hot, there's even in your long run, there's no shame in dropping back a minute, a mile or more, oh, depending yeah. on those conditions and just getting into that like mental frame of mind where it's like, I know I'm going to be out here, you know, 10 more minutes and longer, 15 more minutes and longer, depending on, you know, how far you're going and what the train is like, and just really kind of embracing that before you embark on your run. So you're already there mentally. Um, Cause if you start trying to go hard in the heat, you're going to realize that there's a lot of diminishing yeah. returns to that. And then you're going to be on some kind of like spiritual mind bending yeah. quest out there on your long run, just trying to slog out those miles. And it's, it's not that fun, you know, not it's that not fun. that fun. And you're, you're not getting the adaptations that you need, especially the aerobic adaptation. So don't be afraid to back it off. Don't be afraid to power hike. You know, this was me two weekends ago. I was like dying in the heat. And I was like, you know, let's just power hike today. Yeah. You know, no big deal. Who cares that you can do this faster on a good day? Like you're getting aerobic adaptations out here. Don't worry about it. Like embrace yeah. the walk. And I think that that just goes to like, if you are starting every run and you're like, I'm going to PR this, like that is absolutely the wrong mindset. Like every so often I will intend, like I will make the intention of my run to do like intentionally much slower than what I know is my record. Like really just making sure that my ego isn't what's driving the effort and it's being driven by the adaptations I want. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. I think um, we've fully addressed that question and would love to, to move on to another question that um, came in earlier this week that I thought was, was really great. Um, this is kind of directed at our master's athletes. And it's, uh, I'm an older athlete. Do you have any specific recommendations for athletes who are aging, but still want to race and compete? Oh, heck yeah. So as you age, you're going to, uh, I mean, injuries just can become more of an issue. So incorporating more, reducing volume, depending on the athlete and incorporating more cross training and strength training because maintaining muscle mass gets more difficult as you age, really intentionally trying to do, um, you know, like single leg strength, strength that reinforces the movement patterns that we see in running, PT and strength aimed at muscle mass retention and injury prevention is gonna be really, really key for masters athletes. Um, cross training in order to reduce impact, like not using cross training to try to be doing like more, more, more volume all the time, using cross training in a way that makes sense um, for what athletes actual goals are. Um, you know, biking, great ski touring, great, aqua jogging, great, like whatever kind of low impact, um, 
like the more single legged, the better, you know, I wouldn't say like going ham on like at the Zumba class is necessarily a really great use of your, your time and um, energy, but trying to find cross training that really facilitates um, similar movement patterns to running so that you can reduce impact while still uh, reinforcing running specific movement patterns as much as possible. Cycling being a great one that's accessible to most athletes. Um, yeah, but basically like you're able to keep building aerobic, like you can keep reinforcing efficiency and you can keep building aerobic base late, late, late into your running career. Like it's never too late to, you know, start, you know, working on building those things, even though like VO2 max becomes a lot less movable, top end speed becomes a lot less movable. You're still able to see a lot of really important gains for masters athletes. And like, we have athletes that'll, you know, PR 5k, 50k well into their fifties and sixties. Um, you know, I would say I don't coach anyone in their seventies, but I would say like, yeah, why not? Like if you're, if you're able to sustainably train, um, but it just, I, I would say the keys are muscle mass retention and reducing impact through cross training that facilitates better running. Yeah. I like the, I like those answers Zoe. I think, um, something that I think is really important, especially for the athletes that I'm coaching who are, uh, a bit older, um, is understanding and, and starting to develop more of an intuitive sense around when to throw in that extra recovery day mm, yeah. and whether that extra recovery day, uh, becomes like a cross training, um, kind of situation where it's like, you know, my legs are pretty sore. It doesn't really make sense to go run, but you know, I could do a long hike um, or I could do, you know, I could hop on the bike, um, to still get that aerobic kind of, um, you know, stimulus that we're looking for, um, or even just throwing in like that extra rest day, you know, and, and kind of backing off a little bit of that hard, like we need five days of running rule. Yeah. Um, and for being, and being more flexible with that, but also kind of trying to put that ball in the athlete's court, right. Cause the athlete, nobody knows their body better than the athlete themselves, right? Like as coaches, we just take the information that we get and then we try to make the best possible decisions that we can. But always we have to trust the athlete first because they, they are living in their actual body. They, they are feeling how they feel. Yeah. And so it's not always easy for someone to be like, this is a two out of 10 pain. This is a three out of 10 pain. What does that mean? Well, what does that mean for you? You know, that's so developing that intuitive sense to throw in that extra rest and, and kind of developing a positive mindset around that extra rest. So the athlete, especially athletes who have a deep history of running a lot, training a lot, it can be hard to embrace that extra rest day. Um, so, you know, making that more of a positive experience, I think helps a lot. We'd love to hear from the other coaches on this. Oh, just real quick. Uh, I want to say sometimes it's not increased recovery too, which obviously is correct, but it's how you recover. Um, like what are, what are you, I mean, obviously eating, drinking, nutrition, things we can leave to Kylie, but, um, like the, the pliability and the stretching and, and like, like what type of rest are you doing? Are you, are, is your rest an off day? Are you on your feet, like working all day? That's not the kind of rest you need. So like, asking those questions. I like, I like my, uh, older athletes to, um, make it a priority to take certain amounts of time to be off their feet completely. Um, and, and maybe like work on elevating legs and making sure like blood flow and the, the swelling that takes place in lower extremities. We try to reduce that as much as possible to increase the recovery process. Um, just little things like that along the way. So good, Drew. I love how you always uh, really emphasize not just, you know, recovery as this uh, kind of singular thing, but as really a multifaceted um, part of training. You know, it's, it's not just uh, getting good sleep. It's, it's actually like putting your feet up. It's eating well. It's making sure that you're hydrated. It's getting your foam roller out. It's, you know, very layered um, in my mind, or at least that's how I interpret um, kind of your descriptions around recovery and think that that's, that's so important. Um, and I, I really do want to emphasize, you know, for a lot of our um, athletes, you know, if you're in your mid thirties, you're an aging athlete. Um, I am one of those aging athletes at we're this point. We're all 
aging. Yeah, but you're in your 20s still. It's so different. Uh, so how you recover is really important. But all the principles really are just at, like, even, you know, whatever, like if I signed a 22 year old athlete, like I'm going to hound them the same way I would a 62 year old athlete. Cause if you don't start to learn how to treat your body with respect, if like you try to figure that out when it's too late and you're like totally trashed, that's the wrong time to try to internalize those lessons. So, wow. you know, all of these things about recovery and learning to listen to your body and learning when to rest and when to um, maybe incorporate more cross training, like all of those things are like you can get away with them when you're younger, but exactly. you definitely shouldn't. We can start like, that's the, that's the tough part, right? Like when you're younger, you get the feedback that, oh, I got away with that. So yeah. it's okay. It's good. It's good. And then as you get older, you start to get away with it less and less. So developing those habits early on, like is key, right? That's why we don't like let some people run seven days a week and other people, you know, never can run streak all they want. And you know, that's why the rules, the principles and the methodology is the same basically for everybody, um, you know, with small tweaks for, for an individual approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, and I, I just, you know, wanted to mention that like the way that you treat recovery, um, it becomes even more important, I guess, as you get older. Um, and I think specifically, you know, it's good to learn something about yourself. Like, are you more mental and emotional or are you more physical? Like, how do you respond? That's something that, um, an active question that I'm exploring in my running journey is like, how do I mentally and emotionally rest more? Because mm. when I'm mentally and emotionally rested, I race much better. I'm able to go deeper. Um, but when I'm drawn out, when my bandwidth is limited, I have less want to be uncomfortable in a workout or in a race. And it's never really a physical thing for me. So like learning about yourself, you know, what your limitations are and then resting in accordance to that, you know, like for me uh, resting, I have to just like really, really put the computer away and make sure like resting is not work, you know, like I have to like really develop a strong boundary around that, you know, rather like for some people, you know, they can go through a whole work day and feel fine. Um, and that they're, you know, they feel more soreness or more like uh, limitation in, in mobility or range of motion and things like that. So I think that understanding yourself and then continuing to make good recovery decisions um, that support the things that you feel and the things that you know to be true about yourself can really help to kind of uh, allow you to get to that next level of training, uh, that next level, especially for masters athletes. I have so many athletes who just have these really, really demanding jobs and they're so established in these amazing careers and it's really, really inspiring. And then to try, and then I think for me, helping them give themselves permission to like, you know, after you've been operating on a child's brain for eight hours, you can take the next day off. I would say that brain operation you know, like, does not rest. Right. So like, it's just really interesting, you know, in the past, maybe that athlete would have forced the training day the next day. And then three days later, had a nagging injury yeah and so like it's understanding kind of the limitations the things that surround uh you your life the circumstances very very important and then having the courage to to rest when you need it and i know that a lot of us are vulnerable um about our rest yeah yeah i would say the most courageous yeah rest is huge uh kristen kylie um i'd love to hear from you guys well. Yeah, I think, I think that's an important question. Um, no, I think this is a really important question. I think having an intentional rest day or resting with intention is really important. Like Drew said, staying off your feet. Um, if you're someone who gets pretty stressed out from work or life events, like keep those things at you know minimum. If it means closing your computer an hour early or turning your phone on airplane mode, you know, like do what you need to do to benefit your mental health on those days because I think your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And if you're not, if you're prioritizing one or the other, you're gonna end up, you know, feeling a little more stressed and a little more burnt out in, in one of the two areas. So by prioritizing both of them on your rest days, I think that uh, it's probably a good, good recipe for some like actual like chill time. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. Kylie, 
maybe I'll gear this a little bit more specifically to your area of vast expertise, but in older athletes, do you feel like there's a nutritional component to this people should be focusing on? Um, yeah, I think that um, it does, does get a little bit complicated because oftentimes as we get older, our metabolism does slow down a little bit. Um, not trying to get into like too much of, I just get contacted by a lot of older athletes that are um, that mention that they want to like lose weight or they feel like they've been gaining weight. Um, and so that, you know, metabolism does get a little bit slower as you get older. I'm not saying that people should start like restricting calories or anything. Um, but having some awareness around portions and whatnot can be a good thing as you, as you age even more. <laughs> um, and then a really big, Zoe already mentioned at the beginning, but, um, loss of muscle mass, um, can be huge. And so, um, emphasizing, um, you know, your, your protein sources and, and timing actually, um, sometimes becomes even more important in regards to like getting in protein, um, post exercise. Um, so getting in your protein and carbs post exercise, as we get older, um, trying to actually, um, get within that like 30 to 60 minute window, um, of recovery can become more important if you're trying to maintain that lean muscle mass. Um, maintenance of, you know, choices of protein sources, so higher branch chain amino acid um, protein sources, which are going to be in things um, for the plant-based athletes like tofu um, and bean sources. And then, you know, meat and dairy are high in BCAs as well. So that's going to help um, stimulate like muscle protein synthesis and prevent that muscle protein breakdown. Um, and then in, in particular, like vitamin and mineral wise, um, your, your calcium magnesium does become um, quite important as we get older because there does tend to be higher rates of um, breakdown, bone breakdown. Um, so that's also important. And then, um, yeah, if you are like somebody that is uh, having trouble with weight and trying to maintain weight and like really cutting calories, uh, you might want to reconsider, you know, like being in a huge deficit, et cetera. That's for every, that goes for everyone. But, you know, if you are trying like with weight loss and aging, um, you know, you don't want to be in big deficits there as well. Cause it, um, definitely can put you at, at risk for like injury and, uh, and illness. Yeah so important and yeah, thank you you know something that i have been doing more research on lately is how to specifically train with menopausal and post menopausal women because there can be so many different hormone related energy fluctuations um and so like the thing not that i would say like menopausal is necessarily aging it's just you know again we're all eight we're all getting older it's the good news um <laughs> good and so news. if you're menopausal postmenopausal that's an especially good time to really get good at knowing when it's a good idea to say like, Hey, I'm going to put my running shoes on and just get out there for 20 minutes, even if I don't necessarily feel motivated. And then knowing when to be like, okay, you know, I'm a mile, I'm like two miles into this run. And it's just like not feeling that great. And it's not going to be productive for me to keep pushing. So I'm going to walk home and treat myself to Ben and Jerry's as everyone deserves to be treated regardless of how much they've exercised or whatever. Um, treat yourself all the time. But like just knowing really how to pay attention to how things are feeling and know that it's okay for there to be um, some pretty, pretty big fluctuations in terms of energy level, like how sleep is going, appetite, um, and that those are just things to be really communicative with your coach about so that we can distribute training load accordingly yeah totally great um all right well that became more of a heavy hitter than uh than i was anticipating but i really like the deep dive on that um let's let's level up a little bit with oh more of a psychological <laughs> question um that that i think is it's actually been on the We've had this on here, but have avoided it strategically the last couple of weeks. Um, I can't remember who sent this in, but uh, thank you. I know this is something that we we all have to deal with. Um, 
how do you process heavy emotions that arise during runs and workouts? Um, and I'm not sure exactly what the author of this question's context or definition of heavy emotions are, but I think uh, for each of us individually, you know, and thinking about this question, um, we probably know what this means for, for, for each of us individually, right? Like we've all had uh, tough runs that elicit um, difficult inner dialogue and thoughts. So that's kind of the context in which I am looking at uh, this question from. But uh, Kristen, maybe you want to start us off with this. I know that you kind of took a deep, deep dive into it um, the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'll try to summarize it a bit because my answer was pretty darn long. But I think as someone with pretty high anxiety and, you know, running tends to make that better sometimes in other situations, it makes it worse. But I think perspective is a big part of the solution. Um, so I think, you know, as ultra runners, we're we're exposed to doing hard things like we enjoy running 100 milers we enjoy you know the suffer fest and the type two fun and we're prone to setting goals that are maybe five ten years out um so i think that something that i know i've been working on lately is that like it's really easy to be thrown off by an internet troll saying something mean but like a keyboard warrior or you know if you know that you did something wrong or you've had some massive screw up um, I think it's really easy to, you know, go crawl into bed and hide under the covers. Um, but if you don't put whatever it is you're worried about into perspective, it's going to blot out everything. It's going to blot out the sun. It's going to ruin your day. It's going to ruin your week. It's going to ruin your run. Um, so I think working on perspective is a skill and it definitely comes with more experience and probably some maturity as well. Um, so I know that like when I'm processing heavy emotions, it's super easy for me to spiral. So often um, I find myself like catching myself on a downward spiral or just checking in, you know? So something that I've been working on personally is um, it's something that's called the five, 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 five. There's all these fives, the five, 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 five exercise, <laughs> um, which is simply just like taking five deep breaths and then asking like, well, this, is this going to matter in five minutes? Is this going to matter in five hours? Will this matter in five days, five weeks, five months, five years, you know? Um, and to bring it back to running, I think that, you know, I've been running competitively for 20 years now and having this long horizon in my mind, 20 plus years seems reasonable to me. So unless it's really going to bother me in like five months or five years, whatever I'm dealing with probably isn't something I need to be wasting my time and energy on. Um, and that helps me kind of pull whatever momentary problem I'm having into better perspective. Um, but I do know that, I mean, if I'm talking to a friend or my sister, for example, it was always like, well, you're not going to be like this forever. Or, you know, everyone goes through something like this. You're not alone. But like, when you're going through that, it does feel like it's going to go on forever. It does feel like you're alone. It, it does feel heavy and big and scary. Um, so I think that when you're anxious, it's hard to see around that corner and it's kind of hard to imagine the next step. Um, but it's, it's, it, I don't know. I think anxiety and heavy emotions make it really easy to zoom in to one problem. Um, but you have to have the strength to zoom out. So I think a lot of mental health is how you note it is like to notice how you're feeling or when you're feeling sad, anxious, insecure, whatever. Um, and I think you really have to sit with it. So one thing that, um, that I've learned recently is that it's like a three-step rule where it's notice it, sit with it, and then put it in perspective. So, you know, you, you feel it, you sit with it. And then typically, humans get into a lot of trouble when they're distressed because they can't just be distressed. They have to run, they have to eat, they have to smoke, they have to do something, you know, to like alleviate that. Um, so I think you have to put it in perspective. You have to see the rest of the picture because a lot of times the issue you're having is just one puzzle piece in like a 15,000 piece puzzle. So 
going easy on yourself, keeping things, you know, relatively calm as much as you can talk to a therapist, talk to a partner, talk to a friend. Um, those are all really good things, really good ways to, to help with those, with those emotions. And if you, you know, if you are still having trouble, like definitely talk to, talk to someone in the professional field. Like I'm by no means a therapist. Um, but I know that talking to therapists has helped me personally a lot. Um, so just be, go easy on yourself, you know, and like put these things in perspective because it's just one run. It's just one day, just take the next logical step in the right direction and take a couple deep breaths. Like it's going to be okay. Thank you, Kristen. That was such a, a thoughtful and um, really amazing response. I really like the the tips uh, there for athletes too, like the five, five, five rule and stuff like that. Um, and, and this, you know, sitting with it, recognizing it. Um, and also, you know, recognizing kind of uh, perspective, zooming out to avoid the downward spiral and things like that. So important. Um, you know, as a coach, I think I see a lot of athletes, um, you know, the processing of heavy emotions during runs, um, whether it's the running itself that elicits the heavy uh, emotion or it's emotions that came from other areas in, the, in life that were then brought into the running and training space. Um, it doesn't really matter, right? Like in either of those situations, um, kind of like building out your, your tool set is what's going to really help um, you, you know, it's going to help you kind of uh, get through that tough moment in a positive way. Um, and in a way, I guess that really does try to help you avoid the downward spiral. Um, cause that's where we can get into some pretty dangerous territory, I suppose. Cause as humans, it's, it's really natural for us to take one feeling and then, uh, really make it huge, um, to, to make it more of a catastrophe, um, than it probably was before even if it felt, uh, you know, even if it felt very strong, it was a very strong emotion or something that happened that was very strong. It's very easy and common for us to just make it much worse. Um, so something that, you know, I like to have athletes do is to really try to confront that, that train of thought or those emotions with logical self-talk. Um, and that's definitely a skill that you can practice over time any opportunity that you have, um, especially in running, which is such a low stakes kind of format for developing these tool sets. Um, if you're starting to feel, you know, badly about how your run's going, if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not executing this run well enough, you know, I'm a not, I'm not a good athlete. I'm not a, you know, and, and that dialogue starts to happen. Um, it's important to kind of take that step back, recognize the dialogue, and then to confront that dialogue with real logical talk. Like, I am an athlete. I'm out here training. I've been training for X number of days in a row. That makes me an athlete. My coach says I'm an athlete. Like, all you of these different coach, things. So like, you have a coach, you're so you're an athlete. You know, well, all, all of these things, um, having that, like, logical inner dialogue is a tool that you can develop over time, I think that in conjunction with some of these tools that Kristen mentioned, if this is a persistent thing, talking with a therapist is huge. Um, and then also, you know, a big tip that I, I try to have athletes um, utilize is your, your running space is your running space. So try the best you can to not bring other life things into that space. Don't go out on the run with this grand goal of working through this tough moment that you're going through. Try to use the space just to be present in the act of running, really engage with your why. Um, and if some thoughts come up, that's okay. You can, it's more of a meditation. If some thoughts come up, you can recognize them. Maybe you're problem solving those thoughts a little bit, maybe you're confronting, you know, your, your inner critic with some logical inner dialogue. Um, that's okay, but don't go out with the goal of doing that. You know, it's the same as like, we don't want you to bring work 
out with you on your runs. You know, you're not trying to work while running. You're not taking a meeting while running. Just, you know, let running be that space. Um, and then from there, you know, sometimes processing can happen. I find that the less pressure I put on my runs, the better they are and the more I'm able to recognize and invest in my mental health in ways that are more productive. Like if I'm going out on a run and I'm like, this is a referendum on who I am and I'm going to work through all of my insecurities out here like that, it's going to be a terrible run. Um, yeah. And well, there's going to actually do the work that those insecurities need. Kristen. I, I was going to say, I mean, there's like the whole paradox of like the chimp brain versus the human brain as well. So like if, it's worth Googling. It's super interesting. There's been a lot of like psychological studies done about how, you know, like the ancient part of your brain is very emotional and very like easily triggered. And then you have like the human part of your brain that is very logical and reason and like full of reason. So it's almost like having three different brains in a way, you know, where you have like the chimp brain, the human brain and the computer brain. And the computer brain kind of processes the emotions from the other two and everyone's like in a big fight all the time up here which sounds crazy and maybe makes it sound like i'm bipolar which i might be um but you know i think that listening to the reasonable part of your brain and before jump like i've definitely been guilty of like jumping to conclusions or making assumptions or getting angry easily and responding too soon maybe or whatever like we're human you know so i think that keeping that in mind like everything your brain tells you isn't always right and if it's like the little gremlins that pull up with the dump truck full of shit that tell you you're not a good person you're not a good runner and like unloads all these insecurities on you like just know that there's another part of your brain working twice as hard to encourage you and you know let you know that like what you're doing is right, what you're doing is good and listening to like the logic and reason. So I, I don't know, like we could unpack this for days, but I think that yeah. just going, be, be patient, go easy on yourself, talk to a therapist, like coaches aren't therapists, um, you know? So I think it, it ties in really well with Zoe's article from Trail Runner a few years ago that, you know, like running, isn't therapy like it's a form of therapy maybe but you need to have a more expanded toolbox yeah i think it's also important to note that we should not establish a hierarchy of like logic and then emotions are like subservient to that because right. emotions are a normal healthy and important part of being a human and that we need to not have this like oh always confront them with logic because a like a lot of times that's a, that's kind of a false dichotomy and it doesn't actually work a lot of times and that's okay. And I find that my athletes that tend to struggle the most are the people that really struggle to identify with their emotions and allow themselves to feel things. I see this particularly a lot in male athletes um, just because I know a lot of uh, people who um, socially identify as male are um, socialized to not be able to externalize, confront and deal with emotions in the same way that women are a lot of times socialized too. Um, and so I'll have, or, and I see this in a lot of athletes, honestly, they'll like come into their log and they'll say, here's what I'm feeling. I'm so sorry to dump this all on you. I know this is crazy. And we need to really try to get out of these habits of invalidating how we feel because feelings are good and normal. What's bad is over identifying with them or not being aware of them. Um, I, but like, it's okay to feel things. Um, all yeah. feelings are for feeling. And like, sometimes I'll have athletes, they'll come into the log and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry to be so negative. Like it, you know, like the world, like it's okay to have, you, you don't just have to be like a bubbly unicorn all the time. <laughs> um, all feelings are for feeling. And however you are able to recognize them, experience them with curiosity, humility, um, and, you know, just a willingness to, you know, like, for me, whenever I'm feeling an intense emotion, instead of trying to process it, I allow it to, I visualize myself kind of surfing it. I let it peak and then I write it down. And that's how I'm really able to, again, feel it, experience it, put a name to it, but not over identify with it. Um, but, you know, I just think that like, we need to not pit logic and emotions against each other. Cause that's not, it should not be the goal to be a hyper logical, um, non-emotional being that's a pretty um 
superficial existence. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal really with all of this is to build a strong awareness around those emotions, maybe the root cause of those emotions, mm -hmm. and then be able to, uh, you know, accept some of those emotions so we can continue to, to function normally. Yeah. Um, without, you know, being at the mercy of those emotions yeah. all the time. And so like developing- Feel them, don't over-identify with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think um, that's exactly way to like the, the notice yeah. it, sit with it, put it in perspective idea. Is that like, that. Yeah. obviously your emotions matter because they're happening and you have to like pay attention to them, but definitely don't over-identify. Totally. Yeah. We don't want to be emotionless beings. Like what you're feeling is totally valid. Uh, yeah. It always is. Um, you know. Even if it's uncomfortable or a yeah. thing you wish you weren't feeling, mm -hmm. or maybe you wish you weren't feeling it as much as you are trying to suppress that or confront it with logic right away without going towards it with maybe a curiosity of like, oh, why am I feeling this way? If you're immediately like, oh, I'm going to try to like talk back to it, then that can sometimes be um, more of a coping mechanism to numb, suppress rather than authentically engage oh. with feelings. And I say all of this as someone who doesn't, is not an expert. Exactly. I think, you know, you develop these tool sets um, and one of them is also probably working with a therapist. Yeah. If, you know, you feel like you're, you're really, um, you know, or, spiraling you know, or yeah, drowning meditation. I used to not, I hated it. And I've, you know, really had a lot of success with using that particular tool, um, different therapies, um, but just basically like giving myself permission to feel things without invalidating that experience. Yeah, or self-judgment. Yeah. You know, that can be a big part of the, of the processing of these things or make it more difficult to process or want to even think about why you're feeling, you know, a certain way, you know, yeah. there's a lot of judgment, vulnerability, insecurity that kind of goes into all of it, especially with athletes, you know, people who are really high achieving all, often put so much pressure on themselves to, you know, to not feel a certain thing or to, you know, want to maybe deny feeling a certain way. Um, you know, that's definitely something that we talk about a lot here, you know, like, why do you struggle with this? You know, oh, well, you know, insecurity, vulnerability, not wanting to be vulnerable. Sometimes those things can really affect how you process those emotions, how you sit with them. And then, you know, what we want to avoid um, is that kind of like numbing of the emotions or yeah, like using, that coping, right? Like it's really just the, the habit. Yeah, I would stuff. say the red flags to look for in running is if you're using running to numb emotions, that's not healthy. But if you're also using it as your only way to process emotions, that's also not healthy. Yeah. Ooh, that was a heavy hitter. Um, well, thanks. Yeah, I feel like we're we're kind of working towards the end of our time right now. I'm only nervous because um, I have two different therapists on the call. So. <laughs> well, we appreciate no you guys, and you know, having those those people on the team. Obviously, that that continues to help us with our perspectives and do what is a really tough job. Um, Cause we're not just coaches. We get these things every day from countless number of people and then have to be supportive of, of all of those things. Um, so it can be challenging and we're learning a lot in that process. So much. Here's something that I'm learning about. We'll finish off with a lighter topic. <laughs> um, are treadmill desks or stationary bikes good for training? Why or why not? Zoe, the last word. Ooh, hard pass. Uh, you should, you only have so much energy. You should use the energy you have to train well. I feel like treadmill desks and like stationary bike desks is a great way to use a lot of energy in a way that is absolutely not functional for basically any running or fitness goal. It will like just make you tired. How about your work? That's an incredible- Also, like I can't imagine trying, like I, I can't chew walk and, I can't chew walk and do gum at the same time, <laughs> so. Yeah, guys, try not to mix training with work. Uh, and it's okay, set those like boundaries. let yourself rest. Like the best training isn't the most you can do. It's trying to be efficient and totally invested and really show up when you're supposed to show up and then saying, I know I really showed up, so I'm going to just sit and watch Netflix or like just sit and do work. Um, you don't need to always be doing the most. You don't need to always be walk like, you know, yes, like get up, walk, stretch, 
throughout the day in a way that feels good for you, but you really don't need, I, I think that those tools to me can sometimes really indicate a spiral towards um, maybe unhealthy relationships between like calories in, calories out, or, or dependence need to, need to yeah if you find yourself needing to const like everyone like it's okay to be a fidgety person what's bad is like you can if if you over exercise or constantly make yourself be moving you can really dysregulate um your system and so it's really important to be able to be still if you are unable to be still that is a problem and we can talk about that at a later time <laughs> awesome thanks guys it was a great call um yeah really enjoyed the questions Sick. this week please if you've got additional questions anything came to mind after listening to today's call uh feel free to send us an email reach out um yeah we'd love to hear from you we'll see you on monday have bye, a great guys. weekend bye sitting sitting